Welcome to a special episode of the Apple Insider Podcast. Today we have special guest Chris from Daily Tech. He has a great YouTube channel, over 400,000 subscribers, where he talks about iPad and iPhone, productivity apps, creativity, and a bunch of other stuff. Chris, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I wanted to get the most controversial topic out of the way here at the top of the show. And uh, I didn't warn you about this, but I was watching your videos <laughs> and I saw that you listen to podcasts at 2x speed. Is this accurate? Wait, wait, wait. Is that controversial? That's normal, right? No, 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 no. See, it's controversial to me. <laughs> <because> I find <laughs> that to be uh, sacrilegious. I mean, no. 2x. You you say that you worked up you know to that speed, you know, one and a quarter, one and a half, but... For real, you, you listen to all your stuff at 2x speed. For the most part. It depends on the talker, I guess. Sure. And you're not alone. Like most people are like, why do you do that? Uh, it seems counterintuitive, but it's weird, right? Because the real world seems to move slow now to me. Like when I'm in a normal conversation like sure. you right now, it seems really slow. <laughs> um, okay, I see. I see how it is. <laughs> Very good. But no, honestly, it's just it's a matter of like productivity for me. I'm trying to cram so much into the day and there's so much that I want to consume. That's just been like a really useful hack for me. Sure. And people really do hate it. Like when they hear it, they're like, why? <laughs> um, but it just works for me. I don't know. You know, I do audiobooks at like one and a half because I find a lot of audiobooks are slow. A lot of like, right. you know, spaces or whatever. And, you know, I'm trying to get through a book. You know, I actually want to finish it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I totally get that podcast. You know, there's just uh, there's natural breaks in the conversation. You know, you got to let it breathe. But I get it. I get it. I will say I like it better at normal speed. Like it's more enjoyable naturally sure. that way. It's just that I, I get more accomplished that way. For sure. You know, I actually when I was in college, I did a speech class and one of the girls in the class was visually impaired. And she used a Mac to do her presentations and she'd had voiceover enabled on the Mac, the accessibility setting. But she had been doing it for so long, it would speak to her at such a speed that it was unintelligible to all of us. And the Mac would just say things so quickly to her. And like you said, you know, you kind of get used to it and you build yourself up to it. So it was really impressive, you know. Hmm. Yeah, users didn't know you could do that. That's interesting. Yeah, it's amazing accessibility. That's cool, yeah. So you actually started as a blogger writing a website, Daily Tech. When did you start that? That was back in 2012. 2012. Actually. And I was watching some of your videos talking about that time and it was going really well. And then you said Google changed something about the algorithm and search results. What happened and what did you do when that happened? Yeah, that's right. Looking back, I kind of wish I had got into video first, sure. but that's just not how it happened because the people that are getting into YouTube and the tech space when I was getting into the blog space uh, really got a huge like first mover advantage, right. which was good for them. But yeah, you know, so yeah, we, we started, you know, in 2012 as a blog because I was bored at my job and it was going to be like daily tech finds. And I think the first weird thing that I posted was like a smart outlet or something <laughs> that no one would really care about. And I was going to post something daily, but it morphed pretty quickly because actually before that I used to do design stuff. Like I, that's what I went to college for. And so I had some experience doing a design blog. I wasn't brand new to it. The thing that really took off pretty quickly was starting to do lists. Mm, I don't know if you remember yes. when everyone was doing listicles. And so I came up with this format to do the top 100 whatever. <laughs> and the thing that really popped for the thing was the top 100 websites. And to the point where we became known for that. Wow. And people, you know, still ask me about it today. But the web changes. And that was back when like Mashable, I think, was really doing that, making it popular. Right. Um, and it, the reason it worked, by the way, was because we would feature all these really high profile sites that would then, you know, retweet it. And Share. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, long story short, yeah, Google 
you know, it really wasn't like high quality content. It was because it saved people time because, you know, I did all the research for them, put it there, but it wasn't like really long format stuff, which is where things headed eventually. Right. And I think it was the Penguin update, if I'm not mistaken, that basically said we're not going to prioritize that kind of list content anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and basically our stuff dried up overnight and it was kind of scary. And I remember spending like uh, the last bit of our money, like trying to hire this SEO consultancy firm to fix things <laughs> and they couldn't and didn't. And we were just out some you know, the last bit of our money. And so it was like, okay. And we eventually decided to shift into video. And actually my wife and I put our retirement savings into the business. Whoa. We were like, it's, it's really now or never, let's do it. And we started over Whew. kind of from square one. And that was in 2015 and uh, just kept at it. And here we are now. That's awesome. Well, now you have a very successful YouTube channel. I love seeing it because you really pull some apps and services, especially for the iPad and iPhone that I have not heard about before. And, you know, I'm pretty up on it. I try to look at all the creativity, productivity apps, but you really pull some great tools for pretty much any creative or productive field, which includes everybody, I guess. I love a lot of the stuff you do for iPad. So I wanted to ask you when it comes to your iPad productivity and apps, you've mentioned so many in your videos. What are the apps for the iPad that you still use regularly that you keep going back to for your productivity work? Well, I guess it depends on the category, I suppose. And and honestly, for me, even I, I change it up pretty frequently. Mm. Um, like, for instance, I relied on drafts for the longest time. Right. And in fact, that was how I would catalog stuff. So because kind of to back up what I do when I find these apps is I, I don't go out and like search, you know, for stuff. When I run into something, I catalog it, sure. which basically is just storing it, you know, give it some tags and stuff. And I used to do that in drafts and I had a whole drafts workflow. And that was on the iPad and that was on the Apple Watch. That was everywhere. Recently, you may have seen, I've been talking a lot about this app called My Mind. Mm-hmm. You know, that's one that I, I've just become obsessed with, mostly because of the search functionality. And, the, and the, it's like a beautiful interface. Sure. But right now that's sort of like my go-to thing outside of the Apple app suite of apps, right? Because, you know, for note notes, I still use Apple notes. Really? Well, yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, especially on the iPad for, you know, I, I've just, I like the Apple pencil integration there. Sure. Um, it's just too good to ignore the system baked in features. Yes. Yeah, I use a lot of shortcuts and I always have to kind of go back to Apple's apps because they just have a greater integration with a lot of those automations and such. Right. But for me, when I have an app that I either want to use for like cataloging, research, database type stuff, in my mind, I'm like, I would love to just use one app for years mm-hmm. because then you have that whole back catalog and you can search for it and everything is in that one place. So do you actually move all your stuff from app to app if you actually shift systems or do you just kind of start fresh every time? Right. I see what you're saying. Yeah. You know, like if it's important, I park it in Apple Notes because okay. I know I figure I'm going to have that for a long time. Sure, <laughs> sure. And a lot of the stuff, really a lot of the stuff that I use for like content, it's temporary and I don't need to reference it over and over again. I just need to have it accessible when I need it. So yeah, if it's important, it stays in Apple. So what do you use for your like project planning or project management where you say, okay, this is the upcoming videos and all that? Yes, honestly, you're going to laugh at this, but I have just an Apple note, a single note that <laughs> okay. has like my video pipeline. <laughs> <laughs> okay, very good. And, and because I tried a bunch of other stuff and I just, it didn't sync with me. Like I, I just not yeah. built that way to go crazy. And I'll tell you the other thing that I do. I just live on Siri reminders. I've outsourced most of my brain to Siri reminders. Right. And I make the reminders with the Apple Watch and just tell me, remind me on this day or at this time. And it just happens. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have to keep it in a note, you know. And you actually have a great video on supercharging reminders because Reminders got some great features in the last couple of years. And so if people haven't used it recently, recommend you check out 
that video from Chris. But there's also that Siri integration that's so tight with reminders because I use things and I love things for kind of project management, subtasks and all that. But adding something to things through Siri is just one degree more annoying because you have to say add this in things or whatever and it's just not not seamless so i totally get just coming back to those stock apps yeah and to to your point like sometimes that's enough friction to make me stop using something yeah so i also see in a lot of your videos you use MindNode. is that something you use for like your planning and future stuff i do yeah i guess i don't really have like a system where it's like i'm gonna use this for whatever yeah it's just like when i need that tool i reach for it and so my no uh, my when i really need to like mentally organize something that's when i hit my node because it's just so easy to drag drag and drop right. and rearrange stuff and so if it's like a really in-depth more like renee ritchie style information video yeah <laughs> where i need to keep things organized then i'll do that in my notes so i'm curious i asked this question on Twitter a while ago to all like of tech YouTube of whether or not you keep your footage after a video is published. Mm. And it sounds like from the way you use productivity apps and just kind of, you know, use it when you need it. <laughs> sounds like you probably delete your archive of footage. Is that accurate? That is not accurate. Actually. Oh, really? It's funny. It's funny. Yeah. I used to do it like that. And <laughs> I used to be the, the guy who would go back on YouTube and like start a screen recording and like recapture my old footage. <laughs> right. Or download from the studio. Yeah. And so I don't I don't go super nuts and like actually save all my b-roll and everything but i do just save the exported version of a video right now i have for the last several years yeah because it's come in handy like basically every video yeah just have the final render kind of thing so in addition to productivity apps creativity apps you talk a lot about you also have videos on some of the extensions because you can actually have extensions now an ipad and iphone safari as well as the mac i actually found a lot of extensions from your video that i still use today what are some of your favorite extensions that you really find valuable as you use safari on the ipad yeah, two that are kind of cool would be Amplosion, uh, which mm-hmm. kind of gets rid of those Google AMP pages. <laughs> yes. And the other one that I actually really like is uh, Open in Apple Maps, which is exactly what it sounds like. It will redirect me from a Google Map to my Apple Maps app, which I prefer. I know that really makes some people mad. No, no, I, I actually prefer Apple Maps. I, I don't even have Google Maps, I don't think, even on my phone. So oh, really? I'm with you there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It, it's gotten better. I've actually started to get some of the like speed check warnings and traffic, like the Waze type oh, features. Yeah. I've been seeing more of that, at least here in Central Florida, as people actually, because you could submit that kind of stuff now in the Maps app directly. Well, I'll put links to that video as well. If people have not used extensions in Safari, especially on mobile devices, it's really great. A couple more iPad things. I saw your white magic keyboard video Mm. and i also got the white magic keyboard when the m1 ipad pro came out i love the look such a clean look that white magic keyboard and like you i also got it marked up by something (laughs) and so i I was watching your video and looked like you you tried to get it off have you managed to clean your white magic keyboard to get that blue streak off Yes. Well, I have to admit that I left that on there for weeks and weeks. So just so I could show it in the video. Right. (laughs) So people can see it. But did you look at the comments in that thing? Every probably 90% of the comments were, did you use a magic eraser on it? Oh, my goodness. Really? uh, and so afterwards, I did, and it got it right out. So it was no big deal at all. Whoa. Yeah. Is yours still all messed up or? So, you know, I bring it to like cafes or whatever, and I like to just put it on there. I try not to worry about it. You know, you could be real precious about it or just use it like you're going to use it. Yeah, you got to use it. You're going to use it. So it had some dark marks on it, some dark streaks. And so I looked up like the official Apple 
cleaning method, which is hydrogen peroxide. And so oh. I used hydrogen peroxide on it and it works really well. The problem was there was this one dark streak that I had to really rub to get out. And I was foolish. I used a red polishing cloth uh-huh. with the hydrogen peroxide. And as I was rubbing it on the white magic keyboard, it started to turn pink Ooh. because the, the red cloth started coming off on it. So the hydrogen peroxide works great. Do not use a colored cloth to actually <laughs> rub the device. Use something white. You know what you got to do now. I got to buy another one. You got to use a magic eraser. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. too. <laughs> Does the magic eraser actually get like just smudges too, a little like dirt spots? Dude, it's crazy. Because I think technically it's sort of abrasive. You wouldn't know it from touching it, but it probably like peels off a little micro layer of it, you know? Right, right. Is what I assume, but. Now, are you one to, if you have your iPhone, say, and maybe you drop it, maybe you don't, but maybe you get a little nick or scratch on it. Are you one to uh, utilize the Apple Care services for cosmetic reasons? Or do you wait till that thing's well and cracked before you use it? <laughs> right. I I don't know. I used to. I've only done like one or two Apple Care things for the iPhone over the years. Yeah. Just because I've gone through different phases. I think we all go through phases, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like uh, right now, I'm on like an ultra thin case again. I say again because I used to be. Yeah. And then I get more protective and then I don't care again <laughs> because I think it's different. I think it's different. Like for you and me, right? Like we're reviewers and I know I'm going to get one every single year and upgrade. And it's just a matter of putting it up, you know, putting up with it for a couple months more, maybe that one terrible scratch or whatever. Right, right. So I, I went with the screen protector this time, which I usually hate, um, but it's been treating me all right. Really? Screen protector on your iPhone, really? I usually don't, yeah. Okay, okay. Uh, But I haven't minded it, so. Now, do you have, what finish Apple Watch do you have? Well, I'm currently rocking the new green one, and it's the cellular. Okay. uh, Which I didn't think I would like, but it was the new one. So I gave it a chance. Yep. And I actually do like it. Yeah, I love the Series 7, and I kind of splurged. I went with the titanium model, so I have titanium. Ooh. And it's get it's get scratched. I don't know why. For some reason, I just, I don't know if I hold my arms just too far out, but I hit it on doorways, <laughs> you know, as I'm walking around the house. And so I got a bunch of marks on it. Yeah. And I have not worked up the courage yet to use one of those, like, wire brushes to actually smooth out right. the scratches. Have you ever done anything like that for an Apple Watch? No. And, but, I mean, I, that's what I hear. I've never had one of those. I always think about it. But that's what I hear. They're just be pretty easy to scratch, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the stainless steel shows a lot of scratches. The titanium shows less. But I go with those models because it has the sapphire glass top. Mm, yeah. And I have found that there's a big difference. My wife has broken those glass tops that aren't sapphire, like just in the kitchen, hitting against the tile. Uh-huh. So I go with the sapphire models, yeah. which are the steel or the titanium. But yeah, just interesting. Yeah, I can't scratch it myself. Like I can't use that little brush, wire brush. I bought the whole kit. I had it like in my hand, almost touching the watch. I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Couldn't do it. <laughs> it was ready to go. <laughs> it was ready to go. You know what's crazy? I, I had the ceramic, the white version, however many years ago. Yes. Which was awesome, right? Yes. But it was a little more expensive. Mm-hmm. And I figured, well, I'm just going to trade it in, you know, for the next model. And it, Apple wouldn't take it back. Really? Did you know that? The Yeah, the ceramic. I couldn't trade it back in for the trade-in program. That's why... So I actually had a titanium series six and I actually went and looked for the trade in value. They would have traded in the titanium, but they were going to give me like 150 bucks, which <laughs> right. the titanium models are not that cheap <laughs> when you buy them new. Yeah. And so I just decided to keep, well keep it. it. And, yeah. And, or just gift it to somebody. But that's interesting that they didn't take the ceramic back. That's weird. Right. I was going to get like four new ones for the price of that. You know? <laughs> exactly. I'm kind of <laughs> hoping they bring the ceramic back because I missed my opportunity for it and they look pretty sweet. Oh, so. 
Yeah, it was so cool. Maybe they'll bring the 24 karat gold one back for $10,000. Yeah, that one no one needs. No, no, I doubt it. Now, you also had a great video on the iPad mini. And I'm a big iPad fan because I actually edit all of my podcasts on iPad exclusively. Hmm. I edit the Apple Insider Show and HomeKit Insider, Movies on the Side. What do you use? I use Ferrite on the iPad. Ah. And for that editing podcast with the Apple Pencil in the Ferrite app on iPad mini is, I think, the best podcast editing experience. I have a a whole video on it. Uh, I'll send it to you. But That is super cool. I edit the fastest on that device in that way. And so I love it. And (laughs) I had a 12.9 inch M1 iPad Pro when it came out, which I still love. The screen is incredible. ProMotion, it's so fast, but it's also so heavy. Yeah. Like holding that big iPad gets so heavy for so long. Right. And so I saw you really love the Mini too. What have you been finding yourself using it with? Well, I do. And it's funny that you would bring that up right now because I just shot an iPad Mini accessories video today. (laughs) Okay. Uh, All right. Excited about that. Good timing. Very good. Yes. Well, you know, the obvious thing is, is it's like great for consuming stuff because sure. it's portable. But I've always been kind of fascinated with like turning it into a bit of a mini workstation. Yeah. I just paired it up here recently with the uh, new Logitech MX Keys mini. Oh, the yeah. mini version that, that is coming out. Yeah. In all black, which looks cool. And the Logitech Pebble, which is specifically for iPads. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's funny because the keyboard is bigger than the iPad mini. Right, exactly. <laughs> so, so it's not really. But, you know, looking at the keyboards that actually fit on a cover, that fold up for the iPad mini. I just don't think I'd want to use it. So if I was going to take it and make it into a workstation somewhere, I'd rather have the full-size keyboard. Sure. So I've been experimenting with that and and liking it. It's just, it's so light and so small. Um, I actually talked about it on a recent show. I was camping the day of the big game. I don't know if I could say the official name of the big game on a <laughs> podcast if uh, <laughs> yeah. NBC Sports will come after me. But we were actually camping. And so I brought a projector a USB-C to HDMI adapter and my iPad mini and actually streamed the game, projecting it on my pop-up camper in the middle of the woods. That's awesome. And it was an awesome experience. And I could do it with a larger iPad. You can do it with an iPhone, but the lightning to HDMI things are weird. Yeah. And so the iPad mini for that kind of portability, it really is awesome. It's kind of a unique device. Because the USB-C, right? It makes a big difference. Exactly. Yeah. Because so many years of the MacBook Pro being all USB-C, I have dongles everywhere <laughs> that I don't need anymore because the new MacBook Pro is so good. Yeah. But yeah, just I love how portable it is. And Exactly. And when I edit podcasts, I actually hold the iPad in one hand, pencil in the other, if I'm on a sofa or whatever. And the mini does not give me like carpal tunnel. Like the big iPad, I right. feel my hand strain as I'm holding it. And so that's why I love doing it on the iPad mini. You know, that is an awesome, just, yes. The Apple Pencil works surprisingly well with the Mini. Yeah, it does. In any context. I didn't think it would, but when I tried it, I said, no, this is cool, especially for like note taking or whatever. I really like it because it's like a notepad. And But but I had to tell you something before we move on. And yeah. you're going to find this hilarious. <laughs> I, I love Ferrite Pro, yeah. but I can't edit on it. And the reason why is because I can't edit at two times speed. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> and you know where I do edit my podcast? You're going to laugh at this too. What's that? In Final Cut Pro on the Mac. No. Yeah, that's where I edit because I can edit at two times speed. Oh my god. Okay. Now I've And that makes me weird, but I've had Canis, the developer of Ferrite, on this show. I interviewed him. And so I'm gonna mm. send him this clip of the episode, Canis. <laughs> yeah. If possible. <laughs> 2x speed for Chris so he can edit on the there iPad and stop editing podcasts and Final Cut. No. <laughs> Isn't that, that funny? <laughs> uh, I thought you were going to say Audacity or something, but no, Final oh, Cut. I'll no. Accept that. I'll accept that. 
Now, listen, we've, we've been gushing about the iPad for a while. And so I need to I need to hear the real deal because it's not perfect when it comes to the operating system, iPad OS. And so I have some wishes for this upcoming WWDC. But when it comes to iPad OS 16, the next version, what do you hope, if anything, Apple adds to the operating system to make it even more productive? Okay, this is a big topic, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, I, I used to feel like I wanted the iPad to inherit more Mac-like features, mm-hmm. whether that was on the software side or the hardware side. And then universal control came out. Mm. That changed my thinking a little bit because, you know, so the setup that I have right now, and I did a video on this recently, is that I've got the iPad Pro with its magic keyboard and trackpad controlling. Uh, I got my Mac shut in clamshell mode in a dock, right. and I've got two external monitors hooked up to that. And it's really fun, to, and it works well with, you know, there's a few bugs, so when those get ironed out, it'll be crazy. But to use the Magic Keyboard on the iPad Pro to control the Mac and the trackpad, mm-hmm. it's crazy. Yeah. And, and what it does is it lets the iPad retain its uniqueness. So, you know, I can use iPad-specific apps like Procreate, and I can use the Apple Pencil. I can verify things with Face ID, um, not on the Mac, but, you know, if I make a purchase or something. And, and it's just a really, really productive setup for me. So mm-hmm. uh, with with that as a background, I'm starting to feel better about leaving the iPad as an iPad and not trying to make it too Mac-like. And I don't feel like Apple maybe always knew where they were going in terms of like, let's get to the spot where universal control makes more sense. Um, it felt like things were a little adrift and, and really arbitrary for a while. <laughs> Right, um, right. But now that we're here, like it's making more sense. So that being said, in the next version of iPadOS, the thing I would really, really love, it's a small thing, but it's the thing I really want, is just to be able to see three or four apps side by side mm-hmm. without having to use SlideOver. Right. Um, because <sighs> SlideOver is cool. It's nice, but I don't always want things in that format. Like sometimes I want to drag and drop between three or four things, even if it's just the width, you know, if I have my iPad horizontal, even if it's just the width of my iPhone screen, I'd like to have four things stacked up there. Right. Uh, three, three or four apps. So that's the one thing I'd really, really like. And obviously better external monitor support would be cool. Right. I, I think just necessary. But again, with universal control, maybe it doesn't need that because that's the Mac thing, you know? I could go either way on that. Yeah, I'm less inclined to care about the external display support just because I never do that. And universal control is really cool. I do think the window management would be a big improvement, especially on a larger iPad, which kind of had some unique uh, multitasking features in the past. Like, you know, apps functioned differently on the 12.9 inch screen when you did two side by side. You actually got like the full version of the app instead of the you know, smaller version, like you get on smaller size iPads. Right. And so that kind of stuff, even if it's just for the largest screen size, I think it would be beneficial. For me, because podcasting is my biggest thing, the audio support, audio device support on the iPad is what I keep harping on. I hope Apple lets you Mm. have multiple apps utilize a single USB device at the same time. So I could actually record podcasts just as easily on my iPad as on my Mac. Because right now, I can plug in a USB device to my iPad, even a USB interface with multiple tracks, and Ferrite can record it, but I can also Skype someone at the same time. Right. Skype will say, you know, there's already an app using this device. And, you know, that's something that everyone talks about visual complexity. That's not what the iPad is for. It's actually nothing to do with visual complexity in this regard. Yeah. It's just give the multiple apps the ability to use the same USB audio device. That's all I want. Yes. And I think what you're... What you're putting your finger on there is the iPad is really good for like just average stuff, but a power user is going to run into things in whatever their workflow is 
that leaves them wanting more, I think. Yeah. Like for me, I would love to edit my video on the iPad, but the reason I stick with Final Cut Pro right now is for like obscure features. You know, they've been adding uh, to, uh, what's the iPad app for video editing? LumaFusion? Yes, thank you. They, they've been adding uh, multicam editing, you know, stabilization. Those were big things for me. But the obscure things that a power user wants are still not there. And I don't know when they will be. Right. Like well, a big one for me is optical flow so that I can slow stuff way, way, way down. Mm. <laughs> and I can't do that in LumaFusion. Right. So that's that's similar. That's my thing. That's what you're talking about, but for video. Yeah. And I, I would love Final Cut on the iPad Pro. My goodness, especially when traveling yeah. or you just don't want to use your Mac. You know, that's one of the few recording a podcast and editing a video. It's the two things that I really need my Mac for. And it'd be awesome to do it on the iPad. Right. What is what? So what is your uh, default podcast recording setup then? Are you doing like a Scarlet interface or? So I have a Sound Devices Mix Pre 3 which is really a field recorder for video production. But the reason why I love it is it will read as a USB audio device, including, yeah, eighth inch stereo in plus three XLRs. It's got great preamps. It can drive the Shure SM7B, Mm. but it can record to an SD card and the Mac can record to Audio Hijack, which is the app that I use on the Mac. Mm. So as I said, when we started recording, I have multiple redundancies. Right. (laughs) It's because I have Audio Hijack running on my Mac recording recording a Skype call and it's recording to the SD card in my Mix Pre 3. And so even if my Mac totally crashes, I can get it off the SD card. And in this regard, I've never had to re-record a podcast episode in years. And so knock on wood, but it's yeah, it's it's my ideal setup for that. So uh, not to get too nerdy for your listeners, but are you using a cloud lifter for that seven SM7B or not necessary? You don't need it with the Mix Pre 3. Oh, that's it great. has plenty of headroom. Yeah, the gain is at like two o'clock and you know you could i could crank it all the way to like five o'clock in the mix pre three settings and you get no noise and it's driven the sm7b wow but i'll nerd out even more (laughs) i'm actually using right now the earthworks ethos microphone and i actually got to review it for apple insider and i'm still deciding i really love the sound of this microphone i think i might prefer it over the sm7 and because it's a type of condenser it really doesn't need any kind of special preamp. So you could run this with a Scarlet 2i2 or any low-end USB device, and it sounds incredible. And it still has great so- noise rejection because of its like pickup pattern. So, right. yeah, I'm on the fence. I mean, I'm looking at my System 7 right now. It's sitting on the floor. Uh, it's, it has a sad face, uh, but <laughs> I don't know. I, I really like this one, too. So my listeners for the Apple Insider Show, they've heard me on both microphones. I would love to know what, what they think. I've been using this for the last couple months, so we'll see. Interesting. Now, now, when you're portable, are you plugging in a USB-C mic, you know, if you're traveling or something? I guess it's been a couple years since anyone's done a lot of travel, but... I did a family trip about a year ago, and I recorded up in the North Carolina mountains, and for that, I did bring the, uh, actually I have a Shure Beta 87A, which is XLR microphone. I brought that and I brought my Mix Pre 3 because I didn't bring my Mac. And that was the one time I tried to remote record a podcast with just my iPad. And it was quite the setup. I was recording to the SD card. I had an AirPod in one ear, <laughs> FaceTiming my co-host with my iPhone, but it worked. <laughs> I was able to record <laughs> locally, but I didn't have the redundancy that I normally do because the iPad couldn't do the call and the recording at the same time. So right. it's just weird like that. Yeah. But I also have a 
Audio-Technica ATR2100, which is a USB-C microphone. It's 100 bucks, Right. And I highly recommend that for people, especially just starting out in podcasting. Super portable. You can plug it directly into an iPad. has a great gain level. You don't know, have to worry about preamps or anything like that. So, And it has an XLR if you ever want to use it in an upgraded setup later. Right. Yeah. I don't know if that's the same Audio-Technica that I once put in an accessories video or not, but when I played that audio in for that section of the video, the comments were like, hey, that's better than your regular mic. Right. Right. It does. <laughs> it sounds incredible. Yeah. So, okay. Sorry. I nerded out on podcasting stuff for a minute there. You get, get me started. <laughs> so when it comes to iPhone, do you have any kind of apps that you use specifically on the iPhone, maybe different than the iPad for your task? productivity or you stick pretty much to the stock stuff for the iphone yeah i have a pretty interesting setup which i partially got from canoopsy because mm-hmm. there's a really cool app i don't know if you saw his video where you can yes yeah hide sort of like get these widgets that kind of mask yes um, certain areas on your phone yeah so i got that going on and then i do have some hidden widgets under there um, i've kind of categorized those but but in terms of apps one app that i've really liked is uh, Ground News. Ground News. Have you ever messed around with that yet? I've not heard of that. Yeah, I've added this one lately just because of the political climate. Things are kind of crazy. And what it does, I don't know if it's using AI or, or uh, you know, human curation, but it will give you kind of the center view on any issue. And it'll also show you the left and the right side of stuff. And depending on your preference, you can, you know, it'll show you like your blind spot. And it's just, it's actually been in that app quite a bit lately because I found it really useful. I will look that up. I had not heard of that yet. Looks like a cool design just on the face of it. Yeah. Other than that, obviously using my mind and, and, and you know, the, the usual stuff. But I've really been getting into crypto stuff lately. Oh. Gone deep down that rabbit hole. So my phone's full of that stuff, too. I went so deep down the rabbit hole that I made a course. I took basically December off and made a course on crypto, crypto and Web3 for absolute beginners. Wow. Which was killer. Now, one other interesting video I wanted to ask you about, you actually compared the Pixel 6 Pro or you kind of didn't, you didn't call it a review, right. but you got the phone and you tried it out for a while, compared it to the iPhone 13 Pro. And it's one of those things, I almost got one. I almost got one because I was like, this is Google's chip. It's like the next phase in Android, whatever. And then I, I saw MKBHD talk about the bugginess of the software. And I was like, eh, right. forget it. But you actually had some pretty strong feelings about it too. It seems like you weren't crazy about it. Yeah. You know, these phones just keep showing up. I didn't ask for it. (laughs) (laughs) It's cool. So as long as it's arrived, you know, I'll check it out. And, you know, because people view me, I think, in different ways. Like Chris is an Apple guy and and an iPad guy. But, you know, I I really just like tech. Yeah. On the channel, I talk about Apple stuff because that's, you know, where I'm at. But and what I actually use, I want to be authentic. But I honestly am honest to goodness interested in all tech you know yeah yeah and you know earlier in the channel before we did choose to just focus more on apple stuff i was talking about you know playstation xbox tvs more yeah when it comes to android phones you know i made a big long video about this i tried to do the best phone comparison video i could between android and iphone stuff and gets a lot of interesting comments every day sure (laughs) but for me it really does come down to the ecosystem. And there isn't an Android phone that can pull me out of the Apple ecosystem. Right. And so we can have this whole conversa- uh, conversation about sunk costs, right? That's what the critics of Apple are going to say. Right. Well, sure, they've, they've got you because you, you've sunk all these costs in already. It's hard to switch. Um, but also I'm here because I want to be, because I like it. Yeah. You know, I got in this ecosystem on purpose. And there isn't an Android phone, even the Pixel 6, the flagship stuff that can pull me out. The things that really, really interest me the most tends to be any camera enhancements on the Android side of things. Right. Like, I really do wish um, that the iPhone could come out with a periscopic zoom mm-hmm. that wasn't trash. Right. That would be, like, 
really cool for me. Sure. But a lot of the stuff ends up just, I, and I said this in my comparison video, I think it's not really Android versus iPhone that much. I think it's really Android phones versus Android phones. And so that's why you get all these wacky things because they're all trying to grab attention away from all the other Android phones because there's so many. Yeah. And on the iPhone side, it's just the iPhones. Yeah. And there's too many, there's a lot of gimmicks over on that side, I feel like <laughs> for me. Not that the iPhone doesn't have its own. Right. So I actually tweeted a while ago because the whole iMessage lock-in thing was like, you know, that's the only reason people still use an iPhone is because of iMessage lock-in. <laughs> and I tweeted, you know, there are so many reasons why, like you're saying the ecosystem, yes, iMessage is great, but shortcuts is such a powerful tool that there's nothing like it on Android, mm, right. let alone the third-party app ecosystem. There's incredible apps for iPhone that you just can't get on Android, like Things, Audio Hijack on the Mac, again, just the ecosystem. Right. And also I have kids and I find the screen time controls, mm. the smart home and home kit sharing features, uh, the Apple Watch like family setup that I have for one of my sons, all those features together, you just really can't find anywhere else, nor does it work as seamlessly uh, as anywhere else. You know, just right. kids requesting to download an app or requesting more screen time. It's just so good uh, in the Apple ecosystem. I agree. And you look at what we were just talking about, universal control. How are you going to get something like that in any other ecosystem? Right. You got to use a Chromebook, which let's be honest. No. Yeah. No one wants to do that. <laughs> I tried, you know, I tried a Chromebook for a while. I actually tried the Google Pixel book when that came out because, you know, like you, I love tech stuff. Right. You know, this, it looked great. Yeah. It was really nice hardware, but it's like, man, this thing just doesn't have the apps. Like you just can't use it really. Yeah. I agree. I remember that in particular. And it was like, there was something appealing about it. But then it just not to you can't use it right. day in and day out when you're used to what you're used to. Right, exactly. Or and there's no equivalent. You know, that's the big thing is yeah. If you can find equivalents, you know, the podcast app I use is Pocket Cast, and that's literally available on Android and iPhone. So that's a, an equivalent. Right. But there's so many other apps and you know tools and just other parts of the ecosystem that there is no equivalent. Like there's just not a one to one. Also, you know, whenever I do really give an Android phone a go and download my favorite apps if they're there and try to make it work good for testing purposes, of course. One thing I found consistently is that the Android version of a lot of apps just isn't as good. Mm. Not always, but often. Right. And the one thing I will give Google is the Google Assistant. You know, Siri is pretty uh, lackluster sometimes. I'll just say it graciously. <laughs> right. It can be a little slow, <laughs> especially on the HomePods. So, you know, totally get that. But Siri is also improving, and I use it more and more, really, especially when it comes to HomePods and running shortcuts and stuff. But right. I'll give Google the edge there for now. Oh, absolutely. And and it's not like there are, there are things that the other manufacturers definitely excel at, like absolutely. Right. But at, at the end of the day, like it's just not enough to pull me out of the ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So a little bit of a mini lightning round here. Final questions. As a tech YouTuber, 24 or 30 frames per second. 30, absolutely. <laughs> okay. <laughs> this was a hot debate on Twitter the other day. I don't know if you saw it. <laughs> MKBHD now has an entire shirt that uh, says 30 frames. But anyway, okay. Yes, 30 yes. frames per second. I, Justine, is 24, just for the record. She's she's standing by it. Ow. That's too bad. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll tell her you said so. What are you excited for this year for Apple to release? You know, we have new Macs on the horizon, the pro-level Macs. We have possible new product categories. What are you most excited to see Apple release this year? 
I'll just say like uh, generally across the board, what I really do like about Apple is usually it's hardware. Mm -hmm. And any piece of Apple hardware will get me going nuts, like really excited. Yeah. Macs, obviously, new iPhone, it's all gonna be great. The, the thing that has me really, really, really excited um, is the potential to see some AR and VR headset news for lots of reasons. Well, that was actually gonna be my, my final question because that's the big new category that's coming up for Apple. We've talked about on this show what it could be used for, you know, you have SharePlay, Fitness Plus, entertainment type things. What are you excited to use an Apple VR headset for? Yeah, well, so VR, it sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, right? I haven't been following the rumors too closely. It sounds like the VR is slated to come out first, right? With AR later. Correct. Does that sound accurate? Yes. Okay. I'll, I'll just phrase it this way. The, the main competitor out there right now is Meta's Oculus product, right? Which I don't even think it's, I forget what, how they're phrasing what they're calling it. It's, it's the Meta Quest Oculus Rift 3. I think that's the technical name. Yeah, something awful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I picked one up a while back to, to check it out because I knew Apple was coming out with something soon. You know, after playing around with it, there's some things that are interesting about it. Mostly... I didn't really get sucked into anything other than the Star Wars games. <laughs> right. Those are cool. I've tried those. Yeah. Those were cool. Yeah. But, you know, so there's all this talk about metaverse stuff aside from Facebook changing their name, which is ridiculous, you know, especially on the crypto side of things. That's a big topic over there. Mm -hmm. And I am excited for Apple to come out with something that can be my window into the digital world just as an alternative to Facebook. Right. Because I think we need that. And I want that. I don't want Facebook no. <laughs> owning that realm. And of course, a lot of people are just saying like, you know, Facebook, um, they want to own the next platform, obviously, who, who wouldn't? Right. They don't have the iPhone, you know, um, but I don't want them to. <laughs> so I, I really just want that for Apple to just have that alternative. Yeah, I agree. Just because of the nature of what I do, I'll probably get the VR headset. But I'll be honest, I have not been tempted to get the Quest, you know, when it was just the Oculus Quest or whatever. I tried it. Star Wars game was super cool. The Beat Saber game was cool, but I just couldn't think of ongoing reasons to use it on a regular basis. You know, I don't know if I want to work in the metaverse. You know, I, I don't know. Right. I, I'm I'm more excited about AR probably. Yes. And I didn't always feel like that. If you could do VR right, like it is cool. You know, there's something to it, but I think AR is just more practical. Right. And it sounds like Apple's really taking the approach of like, we don't want people to live in this device 20 all day and whatever it is, let's do short sprints um, is what it sounds like. So AR, it's just, you know, you know, you see the the renders and it's something I've thought about for years. Like if you didn't have to actually buy a Mac book, but you could virtually have, you know, a screen on your desk in augmented reality or multiple screens or a screen on your whole wall, like the right. possibilities are crazy. Right. And Apple wants to do it because they want a whole new app store, right? Yeah, that's true. That <laughs> for is people true. To, to access. So, yeah, I, I think AR I'm more excited about, but both. Yeah, I'm excited for AR. I forget to use it sometimes. We're actually constructing a new house that we'll be moving into. And I was using the Best Buy app to look at TVs. And I was like, wait a minute, there's like an AR feature here where you can just <laughs> visualize the TV on the wall. And it works pretty well. You know, it's pretty cool. And it's actually useful to try and different TV sizes and right. picture the furniture around the room. So I'm, I'm very excited for the AR aspect of it. Yeah. And, you know, that stuff, it's cool. I just think it's like it's nothing compared to what's coming. When stuff is persistent. Right. And it feels like it's like 
actually in a room, you know, oh, yeah. um, that's going to be crazy. Yes. Minority Report will finally come to fruition. <laughs> right. Well, Chris, thanks so much for coming on the show. We'll put links to your YouTube channel and your Twitter in the show notes. Or where else can people find your work? Yeah. Uh, that, you know, that's the main stuff right now. Uh, there's always new plans uh, for stuff in the works. If people are interested in crypto, what it means, you know, uh, any, you can check out my uh, course is what I'm about to say. Yeah. But, yeah. you know, for me, it was like, um, I didn't know if I was going to like it or not, but I kept hearing about it. So I figured I, I might as well know about it. <laughs> and uh, and that's designed to help people do the same thing. Very cool. Well, our listeners can find links to all of that in the show notes and to Chris's videos that we talked about in the show. Again, thanks so much, Chris, for coming on. Thank you. 